Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, what near-death experiences may teach about life on the other side. Today we are going to share an experience from ions.org, the International Association for Near-Death Studies website. This is one that was put up on the website, submitted to the website, on the 8th of January 2019, which as of now is two days ago. But the event itself took place in 1989, which you will see. We'll go ahead and dive into it. It's uh, anonymous. On Tuesday, March 28, 1989, I was driving a small Honda hatchback with our three children, aged 10 and 7 years and 9 months. We were returning from Cleveland to Toledo, Ohio on the turnpike after visiting my girlfriend and her children during spring break. It was a very windy, blustery, cold spring day and my children, seat belted, all fell asleep after roller skating with their friends. At mile marker 85.1 at 5.30 p.m., the car veered right onto the shoulder and struck a parked disabled semi-truck. One witness claimed that the severe wind made our car drift and crash, but it's very possible that I, the driver, fell asleep at the wheel. There were no airbags nor loud vibratory warnings, warning road edge strips yet in that time period. After impact, I lost consciousness as my chest hit the steering wheel, causing cardiac con- contu- con- contusions and abnormal heart rhythms. To this day, I cannot remember the crash. My near-death experience was not the classy, her classic story with going through a tunnel toward a bright light or meeting predeceased relatives or God. I recall pitch darkness and a sense of warm, comforting, still presence surrounding me. I was immersed in peace and tranquility. I was given total and absolute knowledge about all things instantaneously. I marveled in ecstasy that I knew everything that there was to know in the universe right then and there. It was incredibly energizing to comprehend all that power from knowledge about physics, astronomy, psychology, medicine, agriculture, meteorology, chemistry, etc., etc., everything about how the physical and spiritual worlds operate. I felt electrifying elation beyond being on top of the world and so joyful to possess ultimate truth. In earth time, that experience likely lasted seconds to minutes, but it was the most gratifying experience I have ever known. All of a sudden, I was being awakened by a kind of by a kind passerby, and my body felt numb and ice cold. Rescue personnel wanted me to exit the car, but stubbornly I wanted to remain in that moment of absolute enlightenment. All the wisdom was rapidly fading, almost as suddenly as it was imparted to me, and I tried in vain to hang on to any and all fragments of insight. I felt quite annoyed and distressed that while I was expected to communicate with the state police trooper, all my knowledge evaporated. 
Soon enough, I realized that my children were in grave danger, and I had to let go of losing that divine enlightenment. Our seven-year-old daughter, Lauren, had a cardiac arrest on the scene and an open brain injury and was life-flighted to a Cleveland trauma hospital. I was a medical student at the time and knew cardiac arrests in children with healthy hearts usually meant death, unlike respiratory arrest with survival possible. I fell into profound prayer mode almost catatonic in the ambulance except for my incessant questions about the children's status that everyone refused to answer. Our 10-year-old son, Ryan, my co-pilot, was whisked away in an ambulance, also with a severe brain injury and respiratory arrest. Our baby, Amelia, in emotional shock, was only cut on her chin, but was almost left at the scene since that kind of pass... That kind passerby took her into his car and his wife and sons. She, too, went in the helicopter with Lauren. I was taken to a different hospital in Toledo, and Ryan was later airlifted there, too. The aftermath was dreadful. My husband Greg drove to Cleveland the next morning and had to lovingly discontinue life support when Lauren was declared brain dead. Baby Amelia was brought back physically healthy, but emotionally scarred, though she quickly relearned to smile and delight her parents. Ryan also suffered brain death, and we held him on our collective laps as they discontinued life support. We felt enveloped by a cloak of compassion and love when Ryan stopped breathing and died. Greg and I both felt an, inexplic- an inexplicable calm and his death was a beautiful experience, as was Greg's solo experience with Lauren the day prior. The loving presence of a supreme spiritual being with us is the only way to explain the beauty and solace we felt on the absolute worst day of our lives. Before my near-death experience, I was more religious than spiritual, but after this life-altering event, that all changed. I saw a counselor, George Hover, also a bereaved parent, to help me with my guilt-ridden grief. I had suicidal thoughts and wanted to join my children. He introduced me to the Life After Life book by psychiatrist Dr. Raymond Moody about near-death experiences. Those concepts were my salvation because it gave me hope that my children were not extinct, but still existed in a spiritual realm. I came to believe that the unseen spiritual world existed adjacent to the physical world. We all search for an answer and ask, why? When an unnatural premature death of a loved one occurs, I came to realize that an answer is never found, but there were premonitions of this tragedy even a year before the event that I have listed above. Ryan and Lauren began to pester us to find a church to attend like their peers around April 1988. In the 11 months before their deaths, we sampled about 10 different congregations together. They ranged from the most conservative, fundamental Christian church to the more liberal Unitarian Universalists. Ryan had two episodes of intense emotional distress after January 1989, 
One evening he was crying and upset that he saw a black figure with a pitchfork outside his bedroom window and said he didn't want to die. Another night before bed, he cried and blurted out, Mom, I'm ten years old, and what have I accomplished in my life? His teacher called us around that time and said that she thought Ryan was depressed and distracted. Lauren found a best friend, Kristen, who would take her to her church on Wednesday mornings. She wrote this poem on February 1989 in her diary. I love you, Lord. I'm glad you live inside me. Please come to me, or if you don't, I will track you down somehow. I felt a vague, novel, unshakable, disconcerting sense of impending doom that I could not understand for about one month prior to the accident. Four days before the accident, Ryan and Lauren, who actually never fought, even with words, got into a brief, angry, physical tussle while playing at a park. Two days before the accident, Easter Sunday, we attended Grace United Methodist Church for the second time. Pastor Frank Ellis preached a sermon about near-death experiences to bolster our faith, and Ryan listened intently to every word. As a family, we unanimously decided that day to join that church. One day before the accident, I was packing the car for, a tr- for our trip, and suddenly an atrocious thought crossed my mind that I was responsible for killing a child. I shuddered, but in my haste to leave, I quickly dismissed it. After I got the children settled in the car in the driveway, I quickly rushed back to the house to make a last-minute phone call. I called Grace Church and said we made a decision to join their church, and then we headed to our visit to Cleveland. Hours before the accident, while my friend Sue and I watched Ryan, Lauren, Katie, and Nick roller skate, she told me this weird joke. The French have a saying, children are like pancakes. The first two usually don't turn out, so you throw them away. I believe the events listed above, and there were more of lesser impact, are precognitions. I believe these precognitions are an attempt from the spirit world to interact with, or perhaps in some way to influence the adjacent physical world. My near-death experience and subsequent grief work and career as a pediatrician have all greatly enhanced my spiritual life. Nearly every workday I have the great fortune of gazing into the eyes of newborns and seeing God, or Tao. It has been nearly 30 years since my near-death experience. Recently I was sweeping leaves off our porch, and out of the blue I recalled this near-death experience with a new insight. I think the darkness I had was momentary death, and at the hour of my greatest need, it was God within, within me who allowed me to know everything that God knows. I was quite overwhelmed by the, the enormity of that belief. That is the end of the account. And a very interesting one. I, the, you know, it's, it's one that's um, not very complex in its um, content itself. But the uh, the what did take place is profound indeed. Um, she had this experience of uh, 
absolute knowing of everything. I mean, can you imagine knowing everything? Now, I've come to wonder from these experiences, is this, when when people have this knowledge of everything, is, is it because they have temporarily merged with God in some way, or is it because that knowledge is available to those on the other side? I, I can't say for sure, but I did want to say something about the precognition, uh, you know, the uh, uh, knowing that something was coming, um, and which turned out to be the death of two of her children. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that in terms of of the possible reasons for that. I suspect, my own suspicion is that often these kinds of things come because our spirits deep down know what is about to happen and there are leakages in the veil um, that... Uh, it's it's like we're about to have what's going to be the most intense um, experience of our lives in the physical, and yet the spiritual is helping our physical brace ourselves for it, you might say. The reason I say that is because while while some people do probably receive spiritual intuition of what's going to happen in order to prepare them for it, and sometimes even in order to prevent problems, you know, um, being told don't go that way or, you know, take this turn instead of the next one or whatever. Um, those things are often to prevent um, the problem. And sometimes um, there are things to prepare us spiritually, which I think, you know, the events with the church and, and some of the others probably are there to prepare um, this mother for what's about to happen. There are others, such as the agitation and, and things like that, that I I don't see a purpose in them unless it's just, an, you know, with time being not quite a thing on the other side, um, after effects can sometimes be pre-effects, if you will. Maybe we need a word for that. Um, an effect that is um, taking place because of the spiritual uh, closeness to the veil of the individual as they approach what is going to happen. And, and I, I bring that up because, you know, sometimes we just get agitated and that's just all there is to it. And there are difficulties and challenges. Not everything is going to be precognition of some terrible event. And so if you experience these things, you can't you can't live your life thinking, um, you know, something terrible is about to happen. But you've got to live on and, you know, prepare for the worst, but but uh, work toward the best. You know, you, you can't live in a state of fear, if you will. Just go on living. Honestly, I've had feelings of precognition and terrible things were going to occur and then nothing happened. You know, and, and years later, nothing has still happened. You know, so, and I think that's common. It could be that uh, that those precognition were warnings that I fulfilled the uh, request, even though it was not any conscious request, and therefore avoided or averted the danger and so forth. I think that's probably fairly common. Just the point is stay close to God 
so that he can warn you if it's something to warn you and prevent, but so that if something terrible does happen, which you could not have prevented, just know that he's with you always. He loves you. He's your father and would never give up on you. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book Life in the Spirit World, um, or by you can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. You can also contact the podcast either to share your own experience or um, the experience of a close loved one, if, if you have their permission, <laughs> and uh, also to ask a question or leave a comment. You can do that by emailing Podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening.